Welcome to Creative Couch, a series of podcasts on innovation. And today we're going to be focusing on Generation Z. And in particular, why is innovation important for Gen Z? Today we have two amazing people on our couch. We have Elizabeth Pittman, who's head of YES, the Young Enterprise Scheme, and Kadri Ulyas, who is the co-founder of Vita Aotearoa. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for coming. Uh, tell us a bit more. What does that mean? What is YES? Who are you? Tell us all, Liz. Cool. So YES stands for Young Enterprise Scheme, and essentially it's a program where school-age children, secondary school, high school, your last couple of years of high school, you get to set up and run your own business during the year. Um, and it's not just in the classroom. Like It becomes a real business, real profit, hopefully not real loss, but that's part of the learning as well. Um, so it's really cool to see the young people come up with the ideas themselves and then take it all the way to market. Fantastic. And, and you're not from New Zealand, I'm guessing? No, I'm not, which they always ask me about and yeah. seem to chuckle every time I say y'all. Um, but I've been running the program for three years. So we're coming into the fourth year of uh, the fourth school year of starting it. And over the past few years, each year has looked different every single time. So that's been fun. Um, but yeah, originally from the US, been over here for about six years. Fantastic. Cool. Lovely to have you on the couch. Thank you. Fantastic. Kadri. Thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Kadri and I run Vivita Taroa, which is a creativity accelerator for children. And pretty much we do three things. We do innovation with the kids. So we provide creative spaces for kids to come and make whatever they want. We innovate for the kids. So we create services and products that support the innovation. And we do innovation by the kids, which means we help to support the innovation and lift their creative ideas up. So what we do is a little bit younger age group than YES. So our age group is from 8 to 15. And similar to YES, we just see their creative ideas go and work together with partners and mentors and see how we can foster the next generation. Fantastic. And you're not from New Zealand either. No, I'm from Estonia. <laughs> yeah, right. so from the creative part or the innovation part of the northern, northeast Europe. Fantastic. It's almost like a joke when an Irishman, an Estonian, and an American walked into <laughs> Sitting podcasts. Sitting in the coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess that the elephant in the room, obviously, is we're talking about Gen Z without any Gen Z in, in, in the room. Um, but obviously, with the, the times that we're recording this in, there's, there's a lot of sickness in Wellington. So sadly, some, some of our Gen Z have had to drop. About, but they're here in spirit, and we'll try to right. we'll try to channel that. Um, so we're talking about Gen Z. This is uh, you know on our last podcast we we started this conversation about Gen Z and, and, and innovation. Uh, and just to recap, how we defined the generation was anybody born between 1995 and 2010. So certainly, Kadri, you're you're working with Gen Z, the, the kind of the dregs of it. That's the wrong word, uh, but you know uh, the, the the kind of the last part of of that generation. And and Liz, you're kind of somewhere in the middle. It, it tends to be what you're working with. We we define Gen Z in the last podcast as a as a group who are, have gone through a lot and are continuing to go through a lot. They have uh, gone through the financial global financial crisis. They're going through the pandemic. Uh, they've been really they are the first true digital natives. Uh, you know they've they've gone through this this whole process of understanding what's true and what's not true with the avalanche of data that's given to them day in day out. So. While every generation has its challenges and is different, these challenges seem to be very unique and uh, also creating an urgency in their own words around innovation. So the recent research has indicated that urgency that they do see that 
innovation is a really crucial way that they can move out uh, of the doldrums that they're currently in uh, and maybe in for some time. So I'll start with Kadri. Kadri, do, do you agree with that? Do you think that innovation is especially important for, for this cohort? I, I do, and especially I believe with the, with the Gen Zers who now are going into the workforce because they're kind of just just entering entering soon into the into the workforce and what has happened with them that um, with the with the COVID pandemic we don't work anymore as we used to work um, we are now remote first and a lot of organizations would love to still do the things as they did in back in the day but this is not anymore working uh, Gen Z would love to probably be more uh, diverse work in more in remote basis um, and that needs to actually innovate the whole way how organizations operate and the Gen Z is being pretty much the um, the the first to test out what is the new new look like and what is the innovation that that must come out of it. So, the workplace innovation, I think, is 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 the key. Mm. So Gen Z are the first to, to test the new new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that only true of of, a, of working spaces and, and working habits, or is that bigger than than that? Well, in in sense that I read uh, quite an interesting study with, about Gen Z is, is they are. Um, real change makers and they see that they are actually here to make the world a better place. So they are looking ways how they can innovate and part of it is that their work must be so much more meaningful so they don't work anymore just for work's sake and going for, to the office but actually they want to do something uh, which creates a completely completely new ways of how we live and operate so that does um, spill over from just from the workplace but into their the meaning and purpose in this life and existence and, and, and there's you know, just holding I'll, I'll come back to the question about is innovation important but just building off Kadri's point obviously you work with youth day in day out mm. do, you, do you think that, that 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 focus on not working or studying for work sake or study sake but actually being purpose-led, being being focused on on societal outcomes or environmental outcomes, whatever it may be, is that unique to Gen Z, or has that always been this age group? You know, whether it was eighteen fifty or nineteen hundred. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's unique, but it's definitely prominent. And I think there's been I've seen a shift over the past few years of even working with the young businesses that come through our program, and that when you ask them what they want to do and the types of problems they want to solve with their business. Most of the problems are societal issues, community issues, environmental issues, and they really see their role as not being focused on the individual and being able to, to drive a business for their sake because they want to make some profit, but they see that they have a responsibility to actually make a positive impact for others as well. So I think there is this bit of community, maybe more of a community focus with this generation than there has been before. Um, and interesting, I think many of them uh, they see generations that have come before them as the ones who've created some of these problems <laughs> that are there for them to solve. And they um, they think, okay, well, we've got these issues that have been here for a while and no one's been addressing them until now, so we need to. So I think it's become um, a bit more imminent in their thinking that they have a responsibility to address some of these problems. I wonder, though, you know, if we were to ask, if you look back to when we were you know, 15, 16, were we blaming our parents and grandparents for for the issues that we faced as well? Though I mean, is, is it Probably. much different, or is it just that the problems are bigger? Yeah, there was a saying somewhere that like their generation nothing to lose anymore, so the only thing they can do is make make it better because otherwise everything will be doom and gloom. So <laughs> here you go. That's probably the try for them. <laughs> True. 
sorry, that was a, a little tangent there. So, Liz, I did want to go back to, to, to your opinion on why, why or is innovation so important? Yeah. Um, well, talking to the young people again, they, I think they see problems as just popping up more quickly now because of COVID. Um, so maybe the problems were there, but they've just been, there's a spotlight on them now. And some of the problems are completely new just mm-hmm. with how things have changed around working style and obviously health and um, inequality issues, I think, have have been shown to um, have grown bigger now because of COVID. And so with all of these new problems that are happening so quickly, I think this generation does see that innovation and responding to these problems in new and agile and flexible ways um, is absolutely key to making sure that we can come out on the other side okay. And I think they see um, their generation as ones who are going to be hit a bit more hard because of COVID and post-COVID, just going into their their working life and um, thinking about the future that's ahead of them and the implications for that. So they, um, yeah, they see innovation and a new way of thinking and approaching things is really important for making sure they're okay. Have you seen, I mean, Kadriel, I'll turn to you in this one. I mean, we're talking about Gen Z as if they're only high school students or primary. Of course not. You know, a lot of a lot of them are early career already mm-hmm. and have already been feeling the, the impact of, of unemployment or, or higher debt. So it, it, have you seen in the world around you innovation starting to happen so that people are you know, almost as a survival mechanism? Mm-hmm. Have you already seen that happening around you? Well, what what maybe from a digital world, like you see how uh especially these young young professionals now are way more starting their own companies they they don't anymore think that they're going to work for someone they rather be the change maker themselves and and use different digital means that I don't even know how to use you know to to make um, make their own path uh, in their in their career and I think that's a huge change that the career paths aren't anymore linear or you know you go to school or or and then you go to a corporate office but it's now it's like okay I have these skills how can I actually make um, work out of it, of the skills that I have. Yeah. Liz? Yeah, it's, um, someone told me this fact the other day, and someone's going to have to fact check this because I haven't. <laughs> so there's going to be a banner across the screen, I'm sure, saying this was incorrect. <laughs> um, but someone said a recent, go- the Google searches, it had been more about how do I start a business mm. or how do I start my own company versus how to, how to find a job. Mm. So more people were interested in thinking about how they can take things into their own control um, and start their own business versus how do I get into the workforce and find a job being employed by somebody else. So, yeah, so I think it's um, there is this agency and this push for agency mm-hmm. and, and choice and being able to take um, things into their own control. That's mm-hmm. really there for, for, our, for Generation Z, whether they're already working as young professionals or, mm-hmm. or still in school. It is interesting. There was a piece of research that actually came out of Young Enterprise, maybe, say, four or five years ago, that really highlighted that self-efficacy was a crucial element of how Gen Z understood their their character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe now it's just being forced into being more prominent because of the situation. Maybe it was already there, but yeah, yeah they have to they have to act on it more. Does that sound about right or? Yeah, I think so. And there's I mean, there's a lot of independence in this generation with them being able to kind of access any any information they want from an early age and they're used to doing that. Um, but they're also connected with each other in ways that we were never connected and, and with the world. Um, but I do think that that many of them see that self-efficacy is important. And now they're saying, okay, well, I've got some skills. Let's see what I can do with this. And there are options out there to do something with it. When maybe in previous generations, you thought the only option was to find a job somewhere. Mm. And then you stay in that job for however long. 
Um, but now they don't see that as their only option. And in fact, most, I don't think, see that as their preferred option either. And then empowerment as well, like back back in the day, <laughs> where it used to be like there was a founder or or the, the head of the company and you were just an employee and you never thought you could become the one or you could become um, uh, the owner of a company or business yourself. But today, as you said, they're all so connected and they share information and there's so many, so many um success stories out there who just inspire them to act and it doesn't seem so unachievable anymore mm -hmm. it's like hey my neighbor could do it why can i do it i saw this guy in another country do it so i could do it as well so i think they're just so much more quicker and actually going for it yeah. and just seeing what will happen yeah Katja, I'll just stay with you. You know, 825 million, according to UN figures, young people have been affected by the education changes mm -hmm. over because of COVID, because of having to move outside of the classroom. That's close to 50% of all, all learners. I mean, this is the biggest disruption in education since World War II. Is this also forcing the hand? I mean, we, we, you, you've probably heard this because you work for Vivita, and this is why Vivita probably exists. Is that uh, what's why Vivita exists? Is that you know we've got we've got learners who are in a fourth industrial revolution, learning through a, a first industrial revolution mechanism uh, of schooling. Do you think that this is forcing the hand of innovation to come front of mind for young people? And is this why Vivita exists? Well, I hope it at least if anything comes out of it, it shows that the current ways how the school systems operate just do not do not have the purpose as as they used to be, and and even more um, even more shown now that um, that the way how we work, what, the way how we try to teach people this is very uh, broadcasting manner, um, and we try to do that over Zoom, it just doesn't work. So when and what are we actually trying to assess when these kids are in 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 their homes or studying for online means, and what is the purpose that we're trying to do? Um, so I believe that maybe now is the time better than ever to actually reassess what is the purpose of school what is the purpose of education and and how can we make this education in a way that everyone could be part of it and everyone could learn and it doesn't have to be sitting in a bench looking at a teacher who's scribbling on whiteboard but actually you can have self-guided learning you can be self-directed in what you study and focus on actually the areas that you are passionate about to still obtain the same kind of a learning outcomes or learning experiences. And is that true of Young Enterprise, Liz? Because Young Enterprise, correct me if I'm wrong, operates, it can be part of the curriculum, but can also sit as an extracurricular activity for, for students and they can choose depending on their school. So are you saying that this is a way of allowing creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship to be, to be embedded into a system, but also give it a little bit of freedom? Yeah, totally. And I, so most schools that offer, yes, do it through their business studies course. And that kind of seems to be the best fit. But my dream, and I think what we're trying to move towards is that it doesn't fit with inside one curriculum, but it actually pulls from lots of different areas because it, it should. Like when you think about creativity and problem solving and teamwork, that's not one curriculum. You can pull from tech, from science, from social studies, um, from business, if you're adding on the entrepreneurial layer to it. Um, so this does give students a chance with different skills to come together and work in a team, and it doesn't have to be focused in just one area. So in that that business setting, right, they're going to be 
some that are more skilled in, in the physical making of mm-hmm. something, um, some who have that kind of logical mind, and they're going to be really great with production and thinking about that. And then others who've got that more creative creative side, and they're going to just thrive in the, the marketing side of things. And then you've got your, your talkers and the gift of the gab who are going to uh, make millions in the sales. Mm. Um, so, yeah, totally see it as an opportunity to pull students from all different types of areas and skills um, and help them grow. And it, it shouldn't be standalone and, and sit in just one area. Awesome. I'm going to ask you a difficult question now, so get ready. I'm going to pick on you first, Liz. Okay. Is what's the difference between entrepreneurship and innovation? Yeah, I think, well, I listened recently. I mean, you know, you ran it at Creative HQ with some of actual Gen Zers who were talking about what innovation means to them and, and with the study um, around the world of, of those young people who talked about innovation. Um hardly any of the responses had had anything to do with business. I mean, there was the business layer of it where I think entrepreneurship comes in, um, but it was about new ways of thinking, problem solving, coming up with a way to create a positive impact. And and that's how they saw innovation. And when you think about entrepreneurship, um, it's easier to kind of pull in that business commercial side of it. So maybe thinking, um, how can we seize an opportunity to bring in some revenue that would be sustainable and then create jobs for others and hopefully at the same time have a positive impact and you see um, there's been a lot of research done around an entrepreneurial mindset so there is the question what's the difference between entrepreneurship and an entrepreneurial mindset and that mindset um, and young people whether they go on to start their own business can have a huge impact on them if you think about how they approach problems and challenges how resilient they are in their thinking how they um, identify opportunities and then what they do with that um, so I think you've got that entrepreneurial mindset, then you've got your entrepreneurship, which is maybe more about the creating a business to sustain, and then you've got your innovation, which is a way of thinking and problem solving. Yeah, yeah, so I actually, um, uh, I agree exactly what you said. Uh, maybe I'll go a little bit, uh, uh, start from earlier, from the point of imagination. So you can't have innovation without actually going back to imagination so imagining something in your mind's eye and then you have the creativity so you take that imagination or the idea that didn't exist and put it into a practical practical use so you have this creative output for that idea and then you actually see that this creative output can become an innovation so actually it can change something it can completely create something new and then it comes that entrepreneurship. So you take that innovation and you scale it up and you actually bring it to the world, bring it to the people who want it. So uh, I think there is there, while not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, um, you can actually become an innovator. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, you have those people who come together and bring this innovation to masses and make it better, better to the whole everyone. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. You know, for... You know, this is this is the fifth podcast in, in this series around understanding innovation. It's the first time anybody's mentioned the word imagination, which is amazing. No, so no, Ken Robertson like, can't <laughs> take it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It, that's it's ridiculous that we have not. You know, in all the definitions we've thrown around and all the words that we've we've had in this culture around what is innovation, that is the first time that we've mentioned imagination. I think that is a problem in its own right, mm. is that maybe we forgot the playfulness mm-hmm. uh, of innovation and, and the joy of it rather than it being R&D or rather it being an entrepreneurial output at the end of it, mm-hmm. that it is just having fun, mm-hmm. coming up with new ways of looking at things and doing problem solving with, with different tools, which leads us beautifully on to, on to the next question, which is can innovation be taught and 
as such can it be can it be learnt? I'll start with you in this one, Kadri. I mean, this, this is a big question. It's a question that we've talked a lot a lot about. Um, do you have an opinion on it? Oh, I do. I <laughs> thought you might. Um, first, I think there are things that we need to unlearn. Um, there, we need to unlearn the things that we need to get everything right in the first go. Uh, I think schools do an extremely good job of telling that you only need to get it right <laughs> in your tests and stuff. But uh, innovation or creativity doesn't happen right in one go. It has to be you test, you iterate, you learn. Um, like children have their creative uh, learning cycle. So they imagine something, they test something, they share with other kids. And then what they do is they oh, the, the tower collapses, they start again, they make a better tower. And that's how creativity and innovation is made as, as well. It's it's never from zero to 100, it's incremental. And through collaboration, it doesn't happen in silo either. It's always that someone has done something and then you create together something something new. Um, we also should not be afraid of copying, copying what others have done and trying to make it better just a tiny bit. That's something that I think people are, when we talk about innovation, often it's like, oh, I'm not a creative or I don't have innovative ideas. But yes, it's just like thinking out of the box, looking at the objects that are already there or, or ideas that are already there and putting your own twist or actually just finding new ways how you can how you can use them. So schools definitely can can teach creativity. No, we actually are inherently already creative, but um, they can teach techniques and show techniques uh, that people and kids and adults alike can harness the creativity and using some of those skills of like rapid prototyping or just testing and iterating how 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 you could test new ideas and put them in practice and how not to be afraid of testing new ideas and putting them in practice because we have this mindset that we just we're afraid mm. what if it's wrong so what and it's wrong <laughs> That that word fear came up a lot when we were talking about what are the what are the barriers to innovation, even at a board level or an organisational level, uh, and fear was the, the number one barrier. It was there was fear of failure. It was a fear of getting your resourcing in, you know incorrectly allocated. It was fear of just a lack of confidence in, in terms of the ability to be innovative and to achieve from it. So it's interesting that you can see. At, at the educational point of 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 this learning, and uh, sorry, that, that's a bad phrase, but at the point of learning, uh, that fear can actually be circumnavigated potentially, mm. or again, that's the wrong phrase. Maybe it's 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 hit head on. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's fine. I loved uh, I loved unlearning. Um, I love the idea of copying. We've also talked about how not to be afraid to fix things. You know, you don't have to come up with a completely brand new yeah. concept. You can fix it. But also what you've essentially described is what we talked about in the very first podcast here was uh, Alexandra Lutchens was talking about effectuation. And effectuation is a, an educational process of innovation where we, we, particularly with a startup mentality of making do with what you've got in front of you and, and doing the best job with what you've got, uh, which is, uh, you know, very similar to what you're saying. So it's great to see those threads being pulled together uh, in these conversations. Liz, what do you think? Is it, you know, you, you see entrepreneurship being taught and entrepreneurship being learned. Mm -hmm. Can the same be done with innovation in the way that you've articulated it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I hope so, or else we're in trouble. Um, and I think, like, just hearing what she's talking about here, I, it does need to start at an early age. But I think one of the things that could keep it from happening and being done well and 
speaking as a former teacher myself, it's going to be the adults that could really screw it up when it comes to putting innovation in schools because um, those who need to unlearn some things would be the adults who are involved in education. And um, probably parents have a lot to learn too uh, when it comes to how you approach failure and how you talk to your children about failing Um, because a a different mindset and approach to that is going to be really good for our young innovators. Um, And if, you know, in in a school setting, it's so easy to say, well, what's going to be the curriculum? What's the right, how are we going to assess this? What are the correct answers? And we have trained our students to be really good at figuring out and only caring about the right way to put the answer on the paper or the right thing to do. Um, And then when that's the focus, that becomes what they think about and they're stuck in this box. Um, But from a young age, what they want to do is they want to play and they want to have that chance to iterate and get some things wrong and then see what happens as a result and learn from that. So I think when it comes to innovation in a school setting, I'd be scared if there was a curriculum attached, well, be scared what that curriculum would look like. But to me, it's more about allowing that space and adults figuring out how to give students that space to explore um, and to fail and to problem solve together. Um, And it has to start young because by the time they they make it to high school in the current setting, then they are focused on the right answers versus the wrong answers. Yeah, you're right. Those kind of the three elements there, uh, you're discussing, you're right. Of course, you're always right. But (laughs) in terms of it's it's an interesting approach is that the element of pedagogy and the elements of assessment and content are usually wrapped up and nailed down within a, a curriculum because there's accountability there, isn't it? But we get into that problem of the assessment tail wagging the dog in a way that that's what we're aiming towards. And and this is similar, Kadri, I'm looking for you. This is similar to a conversation we had around, well, how do businesses and boards put uh, innovation in place if there are no KPIs? Where's the accountability for it? Is it too nebulous at that point and, and therefore too scary to address it? And we got into a very interesting conversation about should there be innovation KPIs? Should there be assessment attached to innovation? No. What are we assessing? Assessing like how many creative ideas came out? Check. Why, why <laughs> um, not? I think okay. There's just a couple of things, right? Actually, we 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 have these discussions internally with our company as well because each time we try to be creative and but how how what how can we say how we measure that impact? So I think first is it comes down to skills. For so every company who I guess who would love to be innovation and innovating. It has to start giving uh, employees or anyone in their group skills. So the more different skills to have, varied skills you have, you're actually able to put them in practice and, and come up with new creative ideas. So that's one. Then the other is space. You have to open up space for your employees, your teams to actually be creative and innovate without no fear of free progression if they don't, if they get assessed. And then, when all that is done, um, you have to support their ideas and creative endeavors. And then maybe down the line, let's say a year, year down the line, you can assess a year ago. This was the place where we started with our team. Where are we in a, in a year's time? What skills have they, have they obtained? How many new ideas have they brought to the table? Don't assess the people individually, but like what do you as a collective are able to achieve? And then see what we've done over the year. Have they actually got us closer to becoming a more innovative company, a more innovative organization, more innovative team? And I can almost 100% guarantee that by just creating the culture of innovation where everybody is thinking out of the box and trying to see ways in a different perspective, you're going to naturally have more more 
innovation coming out, and then you can start assessing things. But putting the assessing on just one individual and asking them to have some output, I think it's um, it's taking away the opportunity for innovation to happen. Liz, is, is that, I mean, what a great response and a, and a very visionary response in, in a way, considering the education process that we have in New Zealand at the moment. When you look at how younger enterprises delivered within the classroom, and there are assessments attached to it at the moment, does that curtail the innovation and the imagination uh, within the program, do you feel? Um, maybe a little bit, because there is, you know, there's criteria that, that comes with each challenge, if you will, um, and that is so that one can assess it. So whether it's someone assessing it for the purpose of the scheme and the competition, or if it's a teacher assessing it for the purpose of NCA credits or them getting school credits or university entrance, there's this criteria, and then therefore what you see are students asking for templates. Can I have a template and just fill it in so that I make sure I hit all the marks and it's nice and simple and ready and I know I'm going to get excellence or achieved or whatever I need. Um, so it is that they start with the assessment and what they need and then they work then they work backwards from that. And we do see that a lot. And then we see some who just don't care, which is awesome because then they just do whatever they want to, how they want to, and they have more fun. Um, and I think both both can learn through the process, but one's a bit more of a natural learning um, and probably more fun for the learner as they go through it than it is um, an exercise of ticking the boxes. Uh, and kind of building on the conversation around how you assess, I think that might be something we have to change is often we look at assessment now and think, yes, no, um, and it can be quite quantitative. But how cool would it be with innovation and imagination if assessment was um, looking at the individual and looking at growth from pre-play pre and pre-innovation and pre-space to post and measuring, if you will, the skills that have come out of that. Um, so measuring those skills, I think, would take a lot of observation and it might not be something that's written down, um, which means it's there's a lot of work on the adult side, if you will, but I think it'd be um, genuine and uh, it is skills that I think you're measuring. So this is where I want to go next. You know, we've talked about can we teach innovation? And there's two parts to that question, isn't it? It's content. You know, can you teach it as a discipline? I've always described it as a messy discipline, but can you teach it as a discipline in terms of what are you learning? But there's also the how, the how you teach uh, it as well, because can you be innovative in terms of the, the pedagogical approach that you take, which is where you're starting to scratch the surface of there and how you work in, the, in, in with the learners Kadri, do, do you see a big difference between the two of them? At the moment, we've really talked a lot about the how. We've talked about, you know, what, what, what mechanisms to put in, in place. But can it also be content as well? Uh, I, 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 I do think there is a content. Um, I often think that the content uh, maybe should have more input from actually from innovators uh, and and how have they reached to their their innovation what they've done and less so like let's make it really academic and top down and then 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 give give the content we what we do something and and we're we're kind of you know trying to innovate as we go at the moment but uh, what are the scaffolding that we are trying to give the kids kids as a content um so 
is there like a content about like rapid prototyping and that that is a content as a taught as a skill and then they go away and and uh, and do the how on the on their own but um it, is 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 there a way that we could we could almost package it nicely and then we can scale that and and provide that as a content um but but I I'm, I'm, I'm probably I'm not out of the education sector in that sense and I'm more of like let's see what sticks <laughs> environment so yeah. maybe you you probably know more about that, that side Yeah I I think there is some content that you can give and it is about supports but I I there's a lot of innovation content out there already or when it approaches to problem solving or approaches to coming up with new ideas if you think about human-centered design or design thinking um that is content but those are um kind of processes that you can teach young people and share with young people as a way to approach a problem um or come up with new solutions and there's also skills that you can teach around working together in a team or how you go from get from step a to step d and i'm sure you'll see when you're like young kids are are playing around with some sort of problem you give them a problem build a tower out of mm -hmm. spaghetti or whatever it is um and they reach a point where they're stuck and they're not sure how to work together or they're in huge conflict and then you can you can step in and give them some strategies i think on on how they can work through that issue together as a team um and i would consider that content mm -hmm. but it's less about like here's a worksheet to work through um and more about maybe providing opportunities for them to explore and use those skills and then give them strategies when they start to struggle and then allow them to use those strategies. Awesome. So, you know, we'll bring it back. We, we've gone off in a, in a really interesting journey there in terms of understanding innovation Let, and, and within the Gen Z frame, obviously, th those who are still learning. You know, if we bring it back to why this innovation, whether or not it, how it's taught and, and why it's taught, but we go back to this key question of why is it important? Is it important to be taught? Is it important that Gen Z have the opportunity to learn innovation in, in schools or outside of schools? Yeah, I think yes, or else it's not. They don't have, if it's not taught, they don't have the opportunity because so going back to what we were saying, so much of what they're doing when they get into the assessment stage of, of their schooling is about right and wrong. And students tell me um, they feel stifled in many of their other curriculums because it's just um, learn this, memorize this, do that. But when they talk about what they're allowed to do as, as part of yes, when they're running a business out in the real world, they love it because they have the freedom to go beyond what the theory and the books and it's practical and it's hands-on um, and they learn more skills than they have in any of their other curriculum um, is, is what they say. So I think... Uh, if we were able to put something like that into schools, um, students would have the opportunity to explore that side of their creativity and imagination, and it would be an outlet for them because they have it when they're young, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you see that all the time, and then we seem to beat it out of them by the time they get to... <laughs> <laughs> not, not literally. I not literally. Not Is that why you left the teaching profession? <laughs> yes, right. I can never return to the U.S. Um <laughs> Yeah, but we do. We stifle it, and then then they get back into into the workforce, and all of a sudden you've got management boards saying, "Oh my God, how do we get our team to be more creative?" Because we need them to be, and they were when they were four. So, Kadri, what's the end game? What's, I mean, I, I can hear what Liz is saying. It's a strong argument. It makes it makes sense. But what's the end game of teaching innovation within within schools? 
Well, like the fact is that the creativity is the only thing that makes us different from, I guess, robots or computers, and and how the world is currently going. Everything is becoming more uh, automated. Um, there will be more artificial intelligence uh, that it will do a lot of the work, a lot of mundane work, the work that our schools kind of put kids up to do it. And then we have those boards who want to have more creative uh, individuals in their in their workforce. But if 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 we beat the creativity out then then um how where do we get them um so we need to come up with a better phrase there don't yeah, we, we, do, right? <laughs> we discourage creativity um what a creative way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so when we talk about the end game then um and the the generation who actually is, need to make the difference in the future world for the sake of themselves and the future sake of the of the humanity then that we need to have we need to be no that's the wrong one we need them to be more creative and we need to encourage creative creativity and them to think innovative ways how to how to change the path that we're currently going towards um because yeah what is left what are the jobs that they cannot do if if everything will be will be kind of done by the robot generation <laughs> <laughs> the robot is that next? So Gen That's Z next. followed by I thought it was Gen Alpha, but it's 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 Gen Robot. There's a, there's a thought for you. I mean, my two girls, I hope, are not robots. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not. Sometimes I wonder. Uh, Liz, what do you think about that? What? How would you define the end game of of implementing educational or innovative education or innovation education? Yeah. I would hope it. Uh, it has two outcomes. And I think one is for the individual and one is for the community or the world at large. And I could see it having that. Um, when you're talking about the types of jobs and the future of work that's coming up, I think on an individual level, people need or will benefit from um, having confidence to be creative and problem solve and then have that agency to control kind of their own destiny um, and be agile. And I think innovation lends to that. But then there's also the big picture community benefit of it. When we think about the problems that we are facing as a world, they are big and they are real um, and they need some different some different um, solutions thrown at them and a different way of approaching them. And so when you've got a, a generation that's going to be more innovative and creative and okay to tackle the problems in that sort of way, then that's going to benefit us as a society, as a country, as a globe. Um, so I think you've got the individual kind of family level that hopefully you can make an impact for and then also big picture of the world. And what we have meant, I mean, oh, big, big ideas, big words, and which is where the question want, you know, directed you to go to, fair enough. But what we haven't talked about uh, is the here and now in terms of we've, we've mentioned COVID, we've mentioned the Gen Z are probably at the, at the pointy end of, of, of COVID. We know for a fact that mental health issues are on the, are increasing in this particular cohort, particularly within young females. We know that this generation is the most likely to get least help if they lose their job. We know that the jobs that they tend to be in, which are hospitality, for example, uh, are, are the worst affected. The gig economy is doing very well, so that, that's great for some, but for the majority, they're, they're really struggling. And this is creating, you mentioned before, Liz, you know, worsening inequalities, greater discrimination, a real sense of we've lost lost our youth or you know those those key milestones around going overseas or having a school ball whatever it may be that we may 
think or nothing, but we had those opportunities. And so it does have a, a, an impact on how they see their place in the world and, and, and what have they lost. You know, is there something, you know, in terms of when we say need innovation and how important is innovation, we need to look at those areas as well. And, and how do we do that? Mm, that is a big question. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're right that I, I think we've seen here in New Zealand and I'm sure other places with the lockdowns in, in the past couple of years. I'm thinking specifically about those who are school aged high school students and, and what I've seen from them. And it hit them very differently. Um, those who were in, yes, you had some students who were at home for four months and absolutely thrived um, being at home. They had access to high-speed internet. They didn't have the distractions of other students around them. They could focus their time on what they actually wanted to focus their time on. And they were typically um, the ones who could get everything else done in like 10 minutes, and then they were able to do what they wanted to do. But then you have others who weren't in such a fortunate situation, and their their bubble, um, the family and all those around them, was it was hectic. They didn't have access to internet and technology that they needed. Um, mental health completely worsened. Um, for them. And, and many had to leave school to help support their family in some sort of way. And so they've, you've got quite a few um, types of people, and it'll be thousands of them who feel like they don't have much choice right now on, on what they're doing in control. They had to do this, they had to do that because lack of um, income for their family, or they had to take care of some family mm-hmm. in those more vulnerable positions. So I think... <clears throat> It's impossible to talk about innovation and saying we should all have these opportunities without recognizing that not everybody has the same opportunity to to do that and to be flexible and to try and fail. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think uh, in some ways um, it highlighted how we have screwed up the school system. It's like for for we can't while we have all these uh, tools available for us and uh, in this in the school for like zooms and stuff, it, it it can't work for everyone. And then especially it doesn't cater for different styles of learners as well. Uh, you can't not everyone can work from home or study from home because there are home environments. And and what we didn't I guess what we didn't do is future proof future proof the education system as is. So, like you said, innovation, I'm not sure if if the innovation is actually the the key to the education, but we just need to dismantle how 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 we see education in general. We can't do much for the current generation uh, who have already gone through it, but how do we actually future profit for the next one would be the key. And maybe those young people who are now in the situation actually have the hold the key and can tell us how it could be. Maybe ninety six percent of of a recent survey said that you know, Gen Z want educate innovation to be taught in schools, of which two thirds were in curriculum, mm. which is really you know quite quite amazing you know, that they saw that it was an integral to all of those disciplines you talked about an interdisciplinary approach. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so it's not all doom and gloom, though, uh, at all. (laughs) Uh, You're working with young people all the time who are are innovative and are are putting their skills, um, you know, out there. They're 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 doing it. What can you? Have you got any lovely examples of how you see innovation lighting that spark, or 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 a good news story that that you know can say yes, innovation is needed? Because we've talked about. Is it needed to get Gen Z out of, out of this pickle? Uh, can it be taught? Is it needed within school? Is it needed for the big picture? Is it needed for the here and now? But 
is it needed because it's fun and good? And what are some good stories that you can tell us? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's over a thousand yes companies every year. So there are lots of those good news stories and um, they just range so wildly from someone who's found a problem for themselves and then figured out how to solve it. And it turns out other people had that problem and they feel really, really happy about being able to help others who share a similar problem solve it. Um, for example, there's uh, our company of the year last year is a team called Abaro Health um, and they suffered from teenage acne as many teenagers do and everything that comes along with that. Um, and they created a solution that worked for them and then they've been able to share that and, and their business is still going. So now they're in year three of this business. It's registered in New Zealand. They're, um, they're out of school and in uni now, but still carrying it on and, and majoring in, in entrepreneurship, which is really neat to see. Um, so for them, they talk about like being able to help others solve the same, a similar problem that they have, like from teenagers to teenagers. And then you've got those who are driven by purpose and not by um, the profit or the revenue that comes with it. So they're focused on helping um, teens kind of destigmatize mental health. And so they're, they're trying to create space, whether that's via an app or some interpersonal connection in their local community where teens who are struggling with mental health can come together and support each other and then creating an awareness around that for adults too. Um, so you see all types of businesses, which um, it's really cool to hear them talk about what they've done and what they've achieved. And it always has, they have a smile on their face. And um, normally when they talk about it, they've done incredible things and they just treat it like, it's, oh yeah, well, we just did this. And um, and then the, us adults were like, <laughs> that's amazing. It's so cool to see. Um, so I'm excited to see what this year holds. Yeah. yeah, with uh, with Vivita, um, because they, they are a little bit younger age groups and they're not yet all the entrepreneurs, but uh, similar, they all the problems, what, they, what they're trying to solve are very big and very uh, community-based. And, and they're actually highlighting a lot of the issues um, that, that where we, in our societal issues, for example, there was a study done in Denmark about how our environments and city environments are created. And they're actually mostly created for, um, for tall individuals and in the purpose and the viewpoint of, of tall individuals. But that actually cuts out a lot of elderly kids and people with disability. And the kids are actually constantly showing us ways. It's like, oh, like I can't, I can't do this because I'm too short or um, I can't reach there or, or something. And then their problems, that the ideas that they have are actually how do I solve the problem for myself, which then is to actually half the population would, would benefit from, from their, uh, their ideas. But the other thing that we see with kids is when they come to our spaces and then let's say they see a 3D printer that has 3D printed parts, their brain goes just like, because <laughs> they're like, what can I do with this 3D printer, you know? And you could just see how they're just like, everything starts turning. And then they see like a laser cutter, a 3D printer and, and a craft knife and then the glue sticks. And, you know, they're like, okay, this is like completely new environment to them. And they, they just start like playing around, putting things together. And he's like, I never thought you could do this. And you're like, oh, it makes so much more sense. So, um, so yeah, uh, their, their ideas and, and, are much, 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 much broader and have much more abstract, but definitely trying to uh, benefit for the community as a whole. Fantastic. That I think I think that brings us to a lovely, a lovely end to the conversation. We've, we've done a, a lovely loop around. Uh, we we really have 
dug deep into the into our main question is why is innovation so important for Gen Z? Uh, and I think we've, you know, for a number of reasons, we, we, we probably are in agreement that it is it is crucial. Um, we obviously have missed the Gen Z voice here today, but I, I think having you two here has given us uh, certainly the next best thing for sure. So thank you so much. So Liz, thank you. Kadri, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, that brings us to the end of, of this this episode. Uh, we've got uh, another episode coming up. We're still focused on Gen Z, but we're bringing in some Gen Z entrepreneurs to talk about their journeys as well. So join us then. Thank you. Mm-hmm.